ब्रह्मनंदम परमसुखदम केवलम ज्ञानमूर्ति द्वंद्वातीत गगन सदृश तत्वसलक्षमचल सार्वधीसक्षिभूत भवातीगुणरहित सद्गु तम नमा privilege to be here in Ma's presence at the Kali Mandir in the presence of Ushama Swamiyambikananda ji all of you namaskar to my elders i request permission to begin very blessed to be here in my youth i had the great blessing to be exposed to Paramhansa Yogananda when I was very young my father went to the Lake Shrine one of his beautiful centers uh in Los Angeles there are other centers in Encinitas some of you may know of them and he became a disciple when I was very young and he began to meditate and so I had exposure from a young age it's unusual for an american to have that and as I got older I heard more and more stories about Yogananda ji I saw his beautiful pictures began to read his writings and I too felt very drawn to follow his teachings and to be his disciple As time went on I wanted to know more who was Yogananda ji I joined his ashram when I was quite young relatively uh I was about 18 and i had the, the desire to be a monk a brahmachari and so i entered his ashram that he organized self realization fellowship you must have heard of it in india it's yogoda satsanga society and i realized that although i had so much access to his teachings and his beautiful pictures and so many wonderful stories something was missing i felt like I felt like a child who was being told who his father was without meeting his father. I began to ask questions, well, I've seen his pictures, I've I've uh read his words, but I wanted to know what was in his heart of hearts. And I began to search for what made him who he is in India. When I first saw this picture, I want to show it to you all because it had a great impression on me. This is Paramhansa Yogananda ji when he was 16 and I was 16 when I read his book and became became practicing his sadhana and I always used to look at this picture and think if I if only I could be with him when he was 16 if I could be one of his disciples at that time in his life when he was doing his sadhana and I wanted to know more about what was his sadhana like how did he become yogananda before he came here to to America and so i turned more to india i wanted i was always drawn to india but i began to study more because i realized that without understanding india and his upbringing i couldn't fully know who he was and who he is ushama wrote a beautiful article called the great sacrifice about swami vivekananda and i recently read it it's on her blog and one part really stood out to me she said she wrote the west historically has taken concepts from the east and to make these their own has thrown them out of context if i say yes to vedanta and no to indian culture i will lose vital context the setting for a diamond is almost as important as the diamond itself and i had this same experience where i felt that i had the diamond but it wasn't complete it wasn't set later when one of yogananda ji's books was released only about 5 uh, years ago he was writing commentaries about jesus and he was saying the same thing he wrote that jesus has been westernized too much to separate a teacher from the background of his nationality is to blur the understanding through which he is perceived hence to understand jesus christ and his teachings one must be sympathetically open to the east 
And so when I read this, I thought, it's the same with Paramahansa Yogananda, with any great soul, especially one that comes to the West, that we cannot separate a teacher from the background. We have to look at India. And so I began really to research and, and to find out more about his life. One thing that always stood out to me was his love for Divine Mother. That was the word that he used, Divine Mother. It wasn't common, of course, when he came, just like when Swami Vivekananda came, there was even no concept of mother. It's not even uh, recognized in the Judeo-Christian culture. And so, when he would speak to Western audiences, he would say, Divine Mother. And there was one song that he wrote, Receive me on thy lap, O Mother. And it is a very beautiful melody. Receive me on thy lap, O Mother, cast me not at death's door. Receive me on thy lap, O Mother, cast me not at delusion's door. And I had never heard anything like this. And I wanted to know more, who is this Mother? In one of his lectures, he began to talk in his later years about Ma. And one time he wrote this, he, he said this, If only you could see the beautiful eyes of the mother that I beheld last night, my heart is filled with joy eternal. I said to Divine Mother, It is you who are real, and all things else are unreal. And Divine Mother smiled. I prayed, O oh Mother, be thou real unto all. And I wrote her name on the foreheads of those who were present. He was with a small group of his disciples. And when I read that, I, I visualized that and I longed, oh, I wish I could have been there. When he was conversing with Ma and he, he wrote her name on, on their foreheads. And the thought came to me, what is her name? What is her name? I didn't have the answer, but after... I really searched and read through his writings and his books. I found what her name is, Kali Ma. When I searched, I looked a lot at this book. It's called Mejda. Mejda means second eldest brother in Bengali. And it was written by his younger brother, Sananda Lal Ghosh. And I think it's one of the most important books in the whole uh, life and teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda because it's the only record we have of what his life was before he came to America. And only his younger brother had the thought to write and to record all this. Otherwise, we wouldn't know. We wouldn't know. And in here there is something very, uh, very beautiful about the lineage of gurus that Yoganandaji had that shines light on how much of worship of mother Yoganandaji and his lineage of gurus had. The lineage begins with Mahavtar Babaji, a very mystical, uh, unknown rishi. We don't know much. And then he initiated who we call Lahiri Mahashayaji, Mahashaya being a title. But his full name was Shamacharan Lahiri Mahashaya, from a, a Bengali Brahmin family that lived in Varanasi. They were in the Bengali district. And I didn't know for many years that Shamacharan means the dark one's feet, the dark mother's feet. So his, his own name was Mother. And he initiated Yogananda's parents they heard about him and they traveled all the way to Varanasi and they took Diksha from him and then they returned to Kolkata. That night, Yogananda's mother had a dream in the middle of the night that she saw a murti of Chandi, goddess Chandi Devi, appear in the puja room. Their family worshipped Vishnu. They only had a shaligram in their puja room, worshipping Vishnu. That very night, after Diksha from Lady Mahashaya, she had that dream and she lit a lamp. This was in the early 1900s, no lights yet. 
little lamp, went down to the puja room and held up the flame to the corner of the wall and there was a big crack on the northern wall. And inside that crack was a nine metal murti of chandi. So she woke up her husband and said, come, come. So his name was Bhagavati. Bhagavati that came down and they removed the murti and began worshipping Chandi as well as the Shaligram. They hired a pujari every day and it's still being worshipped now by descendants of Yoganandaji in Chennai, in Madras. And I talked to Swami Bhajanandaji and he told me that the nine metal murti is very traditional. That is the, uh, the way that these murtis to Chandi were made. So by these two stories we know that Lairi Mahashaya was a great, great worshipper of Ma. His own name carries Shamachara on her feet. And the moment that his disciples took Diksha, they, they were given the Chandi, Ma, Murti, and they began. This was before Yoganandaji was born. Then he was born, and uh, it, it was 1893, the year that Swami Vivekanandaji was speaking to America for the first time ever, a Swami speaking to Americans. And at this time, they lived in Goraknath, uh, uh, Gorakhpur, named after Goraknath, the great yogi. And there is a very I beautiful story from this book. Yoganandaji had a large family, and his eldest sister's name was Rama. And she had a diary. And in that diary, she wrote this about Mukunda. Mukunda was Yoganandaji's birth name, Mukunda. First she writes about how she began to pray to Makali when she was a little girl and she found a book of Sri Ram Prashad and began singing those songs. Then she said, our second brother Mukunda was only one and a half years old, just 18 months. He was already beginning to talk and he used to follow me about all over the place. Whenever I sang praises to Kali, he listened with rapt attention. One Sunday afternoon during the summer, father was taking a rest. When he got up from his rest, he saw little Mukunda, 18 months old, sitting on the stairs with his feet straight out. And in a loud voice, with his head bowed, he was singing the name of Kali. In astonishment, the father went to his wife, to Mukunda's mother. He said, come, don't distract him, but look, how did he learn songs to Kali? We, we always sing to Vishnu in this house. And they, didn't, they don't know. And they didn't disturb him. And then Roma wrote in her diary, I knew I was responsible, and from a hiding place I continued to watch Mukunda. I felt fearful that he was singing so seriously at such a young age. I vowed I would never sing in his presence again. As time went on, Mukunda's devotion to Makali was so uh, intense that the family began to support that. When he was one year old, the mother took him to Lahiri Mahashaya for his blessing in Varanasi and he told her he will be a great soul. And to encourage his spiritual inclinations, she made a Kali Murti for him. When he was a young child, in every way she could, mother encouraged Mukunda's inclinations. So she made a perfect image of Ma Kali, about one and a half feet high, and placed it on a low stool as an altar, and they performed puja. So even from a young, young age, Mukunda began to do Kali Puja every day. This was even before they moved to Kolkata. Then in the, they, they moved to Lahore because their father was, his father worked uh, for the British Railway, so they had to move a lot. So when they moved from Gorakhpur to Lahore, again from his younger brother's diaries, he said, we all l got off our carriage, this is still 
early 1900s, no car. They get off their carriage to the new house, and everybody runs into the new house, so excited. Oh, where's my room? Where's the kitchen? Let's see the balcony. But little Mukunda had one thought in mind. Where am I going to put my image of Makali? And the little brother followed him all around the house as little Mukunda, who was about eight years old, was holding the image of Makali, walking around the house. Where will I put her? And his little brother was following him. After much deliberation, he placed the statue lovingly in a corner of an upstairs veranda. A screen was hung in privacy. During our stay in Lahore, Mukunda faithfully worshipped Makali in this simple improvised temple. Then, in 1906, they moved to Kolkata, finally. They were transferred. And they moved into a house that was right across from uh, a school. And that is where he began to meet some boyhood friends. And he was already, at this time, uh, 13. So he was old enough now to be more active with his friends, and all he wanted to do was be a yogi. So he met some friends at this school, and he said, we have to build a murti of Makali. And so they did, with all the proper ways in those days, like the jute. They would take the jute and dye it black for the hair. And the, one of the boyhood friends, his father owned the school. So they brought the murti to the headmaster and said, look, we made this murti of Makali. And the headmaster said, then we will do a Kali Puja here at the school, the deaf and dumb school on Garpa Road. So they performed the puja. Then these three boys, imagine, they're pretty full of themselves in a way because they built the murti, the headmaster was impressed and they did a puja. So they decided, let's dig some caves so we can be real yogis. So it's here that... Very secretly, they started uh, at night, and whenever they could, they had to conceal their efforts. They were digging caves on the grounds of this school. <laughs> they wanted to be like the Himalayan yogis. Unseen by anyone, we began to meditate in our secret grotto. But soon we were discovered by the school authorities, who abruptly evicted us from our Himalayan sanctuary. <laughs> Then a great tragedy happened in his life. His mother died. And he was very young at this time, around this age. And uh, they were away, so he couldn't even see her. And they were, he was with his father. And it was a very sudden death from the Asiatic cholera. And at this point, his devotion, as he writes, to Ma increased a thousandfold because he realized, I have no mother anymore. The only mother I have is Kali. And his, at that point his sadhana changed. He spent many lonely hours underneath what in Bengali is called the Sheoli tree. Little white flowers fall and he would meditate under the Sheoli and cry and just cry. And no one could say anything because how can you say anything to a boy who has lost his mother? So no one in the family told him, don't meditate or go out and play. They just let him be. And it took me many years till I was in India that I found out the Sheoli tree is the Parijata. At this time, uh, when he was mourning and grieving his mother, he began to seek out the company of saints in Kolkata, and there were many at this time. And so he was always asking, who is another saint in Kolkata? Who is another sadhu? Who is another rishi? He was always asking. And eventually he found M, Mahindranath Gupta, the great disciple and great saint and great soul who also wrote the Kothamrit, the Gospel of Ramakrishna. In that meeting, happened at 50 Amherst Street, and I went there uh, a couple years ago. It's, it was owned by Mukunda's family. He actually lived there. That is the home that they owned because uh, the father was wealthy, working for the British, big estate. 
the big family was there. That is where his mother passed away. So they sold the house and moved to a different house. So when young Mukunda heard a great saint is at 50 Amherst, he became a little apprehensive to go. But he went. And there's four floors. And when I went there, it's now it's very dilapidated, but M, Mahindranath Gupta, had a school there for boys. And he was the headmaster, and his room was on the top floor. So you had to walk up all those stairs. And Yoganandaji wrote that he said, hallowed walls with these memories of the greatest tragedy, tragedy in my life and the greatest healing. And as I walked up slowly each step, I remember what he can only imagine what he felt. And when he reached the top floor, there's a door that says headmaster in Bengali. And he opened it, and there was M, seated in his worship to Ma. A picture of Ma Kali was there. And Mukunda said, uh, Mohashaya. And M said, please don't disturb me. I am conversing with my mother. And Mukunda said that the, the anguish that he had no mother, and here was M speaking to Divine Mother. He, he couldn't hear Ma's voice. He fell on the floor in anguish and grabbed M's feet and began crying uncontrollably. And M kept saying, control yourself, control yourself. And he kept crying and he said, ask Ma if she loves me. Ask Ma if she knows of me. Ask Ma. You are talking with her, ask Ma. And he kept pressing until finally M said, all right, I will, I will talk to Ma. Now go. And so Mukunda went home, and that night Ma came to him in a vision at ten at night and said, Always have I loved thee, ever shall I love thee. And the next morning he went back to 50 Amherst Street, ran up the stairs with so much joy, but then he, he thought, No, I'm, I'm not going to tell M what happened. I'm going to see if he knows. So when M opened the door and said, please come in, he said, sir, have you heard anything from Ma? And M said, naughty little boy. Dushtu, dushtu chele. And he said, what more can I add to what Ma told you last night at 10? Then he fell again at his feet and cried. In the autobiography of a yogi, one of my favorite chapters has always been that chapter about his time with M. He said, every afternoon, young Mukunda saying this, every afternoon I went to Amherst Street, I sought Master Mahashaya, that is M. I sought his divine cup so full that its drops overflowed on my being. Never before had I bowed in utter reverence. Now I felt it an immeasurable privilege even to tread the same ground that M's footsteps sanctified. Such reverence that he had. He followed him everywhere and went every day to Dakshineshwar and, and other places, other holy places in Kolkata. Whenever Mukunda would bring a garland, M would never take it. And he said, but Ma is in you. I cannot let Ma put a garland on me. And he would never take it. Then Yoganandaji wrote, From Master Mahashaya, I learned the sweetness of God in the aspect of mother. And later in some of his other talks, he elaborated on that a little bit. But what he said was that from M, his own devotion to Makali reached a, a, a tremendous level of, of communion through M's inspiration and guidance. During this time, more and more friends gathered around young Mukunda, and one thing they loved was that he could sing, and he loved to sing. Then his little brother remembered this, and he said, he had a natural ability to pick up a tune. If he heard a song once, he could reproduce it. His voice was sweet and musical, so his friends often asked him to sing. With unrestrained fervor, 
Mukunda would sing Kali Kirtan and Shamashangit and bhajans of Tagore, Rabindranath Tagore. And so his boys, boyhood friends told him, why don't you learn more music so we can hear more? So he talked to his parents and they hired a music teacher. They bought him an esraj, a set of tablas and a harmonium. And he began learning classical music and more bhajans of Ram Prashad. So it is said, and oh, what, what will I give to someday hear how he sang in those days? And it is said that when he sang, everyone would stop and just listen. What is Shamashangit? That was a question I had when I read this. Well, what is Shamashangit? How do I know? I didn't have internet at this time. I was a monk in the ashram. And I didn't know any Bengalis. <laughs> so I was stuck. But I heard about Ram Prashad. And uh, in one of uh, Yoganandaji's lectures in the, in the 1940s, he said, Every time I see an image of one of the great ones or think of them, I get their vibrations. When I contact Jesus, I feel the consciousness of God as the Father. When I think of Ram Prashad, I feel the vibration of God as the Mother. And I thought, he's mentioning Ram Prashad in the same sentence as Jesus Christ. <laughs> Who is Ram Prashad? I still couldn't find, I, I couldn't find books. In another lecture, he was talking about chanting. And Yoganandaji said, Sri Chaitanya and Sri Ram Prashad found God through chanting in a very authoritative way, saying they have reached the highest goal of moksha through chanting. And I thought, well, I had certainly heard of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Again, Chaitanya mentioned and Ram Prashad in the same sentence. <laughs> Who is Ram Prashad? <laughs> Finally, I found a book and I read it and I'll never forget the experience I had visualizing what it was like to be in Kolkata in those days. Imagine it's 1750 or thereabouts. It's British Kolkata and you're on a boat going to work or do some errands on a little river boat going down the, the Ganga. And no noise yet in Kolkata. Peaceful, you just hear the, the oar, the water. It's kind of misty, cold morning in Kolkata. And you hear a beautiful singing from the distance and you don't know where it's coming from. You hear the temple bells. Who is singing? And you're getting closer to a ghat. But you can't see who is singing. And there's people sitting on the ghat, people standing on the ghat, people enraptured. But you don't know where, who is singing. But you get closer and you look and you see one head above the water but nothing else, and just ahead, and he's looking up, and he's singing to Ma, in a beautiful morning raga, singing Ma, Kali, and you get chills on your arms, and he's there, completely submerged in the water, ecstatically singing. This was Ram Prashad. He did this regularly, and in, it is said he wrote 2,000, more than 2,000 beautiful songs to Ma, Kali, Even one of Yoganandaji's great disciples, Sri Dayamata, a Westerner, she went to India for the first time in 1958. She wrote a diary, and in that diary, she talks about how she went in 1958 to Ram Prashad's house. So obviously she heard a lot about Ram Prashad from her guru, that to make that trip 40 miles from Kolkata in 1958, and she said, she wrote in her diary, as as we reached the home of Ram Prashad, we entered a large room that was very plain except for a be beautiful image of Ma Kali standing on an altar in the back of the room. As soon as my forehead touched the floor in silent prayer to the mother whose image was before me, a profound yearning for Ma welled up within me. My body shook with disconsolate sobs, uncontrolled crying that I could not control. Long I wept, inwardly praying, 
to ma to ease my soul's hunger. Until at last spent, I felt a deep peace softly envelop me as I sat quietly drinking from that fountain within. This chapter from Mejda, the book, was one of the most beautiful I had ever read, and it still is to this day. Rather than read it, I'll just retell it. But it connects to Ram Prashad, that's why I'm reading it now. His younger brother noted that every morning Mukunda would wake up before dawn, he would bathe, he would do his sadhana in his little attic, and then he would get dressed and he would walk to the Ganga just to take another bath and then start his day or his studies. And again, now he's could be 13 years old, 14 years old. And the younger brother always asking, can I come, can I come? Many times he said, no, no, you stay, because he's restless. But one morning he said, come. And they went early in the morning, and Sananda was reminiscing how beautiful Kolkata was then, long ago in those days. And they reached the, the ghat and the Ganga, and Mukunda removed all of his clothes and went into the Ganga and began singing to Ma. Shamashwangit again. And he walked it all the way until only his head was above water. And Sananda said that he sat as Mukunda sang hour after hour. And sometimes when he wasn't singing, he would just pray to Ma to relieve the suffering of family members or suffering of the world. And then he would sing again. And Sananda said that as people walked by, they all looked. And the sun passed its zenith. That's what Sananda wrote. Meaning, early morning dawn, he began singing six, seven, eight in the morning. And still, after noon, one o'clock. So for five or six hours, he was just with his head above water, young Mukunda singing to Ma. And when he finished, he slowly walked out of the cut, still singing, and just kept walking home. And everyone made way. It was already busy by then. But people just didn't mind that here was this young boy without any clothes, his hair wet, singing to Ma. They all made way until his aunt, his pishi, came and hit him on the head so hard and said, Mokon, what are you doing? They called him Moko. Moko, how? How could you indulge in such evil? Can't you see that there are women and young girls walking around and here you are so indecent naked in front of everyone and he said i don't know what you're talking about and she hit him again very abruptly on the, on the ear boxed his ear and said you should be ashamed of yourself you're shaming the family I, I, such evil then he he looked at her and he said the evil is in your mind and he turned around and walked back to fetch his clothes So as time went on, his father saw these tendencies and the family was becoming very concerned, kind of like his older sister, Roma, getting a little worried about his tendencies. He was always running off to the Himalayas and they were bringing him back. So he said, promise me you will at least graduate high school. He said, okay. Then Yoganandaji wrote, my promise to father had been that I would complete my high school studies but I cannot pretend to diligence. The passing months found me less frequent, frequently in the classroom than in secluded spots along Kolkata bathing huts and the nearby crematory grounds, especially gruesome at night. These are considered highly attractive by the yogi. He who would find the deathless essence must not be dismayed by a few unadorned skulls. And in Mejda, Sanandaji wrote that he would go on every Amavasya, which is a very interesting fact to me, with some of his friends. And they would go to Nimtala, the Nimtala cremation grounds, and spend the night there. You might wonder, how did the 
family accept this, that he would be gone all night, so many times being gone? Well, his older brother was very tough on him and often beat him. They were extremely strict, but he would keep going and, and, and do these things with his friends, going to the, the cremation grounds. When he finished high school, he said, okay, now I am free. And throughout all this time, he's spending every day that he possibly can with M, learning so much from him, going to Dakshineshwar. At this time, he decided to go to a uh, ashram in Varanasi. And there's an interesting chapter in here, Mejda's last Kali Puja. And we don't know why, but he told his siblings, this will be my last Kali Puja. He would always do the Shama Kali Puja and they would always make the Murti and he said, I, I won't make it anymore. And then he went to renounce. And he went to M and asked M to be his Guru. And M said, no, I am not your Guru. It's in the autobiography. He said, I am not your Guru. Your Guru will come later and he will teach you wisdom to prepare you for the West. And I don't know why, but my guess, my very humble, inadequate guess, is that he knew or was told that you were going to the West and you have to prepare yourself for the West. And that is why the Kali Puja must end. But his love for Ma never ended. His singing for Ma never ended. And that goes on and on and on. When he went to Varanasi, he was unhappy in this particular ashram. And again in the autobiography, he, he called out, O Ma, teach me thyself or from a guru. So this tells me again, his most intimate prayers were always to Ma. Anytime you're reading about any kind of deep anguish like this, it was always to Ma. And that is when he met his guru, Swami Sri Teshwar Giri, who was pure gyan. He was a gyani. And he was told by Babaji, I will send you a young chela. You have to train him to go to the West. And it was Yogananda. So from the very beginning, it was predestined. He has to go to the West. And that is why I believe M also said no. Because he was such a Mayur Bhakta, such a devotee of Ma, cremation grounds. He wasn't fit for going to the West. He needed that training of, of the, the Vedanta and the uh, non-ceremonious <laughs> approach. Even though Sri Teswaji, he didn't do any ceremony. He didn't do puja. He did, wouldn't even let anyone put a flower near his picture. <laughs> but he celebrated Durga Puja in his Sri Rampur ashram. And it was a big occasion. So he did have some sense for the, the, the festivities. The first thing that Sri Teswaji told him was, you have to get your bachelor's degree. This was very frightening to Yoganandaji. But he went, he obeyed, and from 1910 to 1915, those years, he was going to school and spending time with his guru. But he never, go to, he never went to school, rarely. He skipped class all the time. But by miracle, he would pass the exams just barely. Uh, <laughs> He was called Mad Monk. That's what it says in the autobiography. All of the other schoolmates would tease him and call him Mad Monk. So I have learned a little bit of Bengali, a little bit of Bangla to, to guess that he was either a Pagol Shadhu or Kappa Baba or Kappa Shadhu. <laughs> One of these beautiful words, Kappa or Pagol, was associated to him. But this tells me, as I was saying, I wanted to know who was Yogananda. I, I couldn't tell based on what I saw of his life in America. For all I knew, he was a straight-A student because the way he presented himself in America was so uh, perfect. The way he gave lectures, the way he dressed, everything was so perfect and so beautiful. I was enlightened to know that he was Pagol, Kappa. <laughs> he was spending his time in cremation grounds. He was, he was meditating to Makali, singing to Makali all the time. And Sri Teswaji never uh, curbed this in devotion. Then, when he graduated in 
15, he received sannyas. From Sri Teswaji gave him sannyas into the Giri order, and he chose the name Yogananda. He became Swami Yogananda Giri, and he started a school for boys, a little school. And uh, he had his chelas there and taught them. And this went on for some years. Then in 1920, just four years after he started his ashram, he's called to go to America. And this is the big turning point in his life. And there's one little talk. It's only published in one book, and now it's out of print. But he's telling about this, and again, this showed me the human side, the heart of Yoganandaji. He said, on the day of his departure to America, he's on the first boat that's leaving the harbor since World War I. They stopped all travel. So World War I finished. This was the first ship going. All of the students from his Vidyalaya, which, by the way, he named the Shamacharan Lahiri Mahash Vidyalaya, all of the students were at the dock, crying. Sri Teswarji had also come. He boarded the ship in tears. All of his chelas, imagine your guru leaving on a boat to America in 1920. His guru came with him, Sri Teswarji, and sat like a sphinx in my cabin while I continued to shed tears over parting from him and going to a strange land. What an image. Here is Swami Yogananda Giri, ready to go to America, weeping at his guru's feet on the boat, on the harbor. Finally, Sheikh Teswarji spoke in a calm and reassuring way. Everything will be all right. Bhagavan is with you. When he arrived, it was very difficult. When I read Ushama's article about Swami Vivekananda, the great sacrifice of going to America, it sounds so similar. It was only uh, 27 years later. Not much had changed. The Roaring Twenties were beginning. It was a difficult time, uh, but he made do. <laughs> his first little ashram was a one-story little house that some students of his joined together and they built. And I saw a picture of it. It's called Hardy's Pond in Massachusetts. Little, tiny little house. But it was such a strange picture because on top of it is a tent. It must have been made out of canvas, like a triangular tent. And there was Yoganandaji standing. He didn't even, he was such a sadhu that he rather pitch a tent on top of the building and sleep there <laughs> than inside his own ashram. The students were in the ashram. After four years in Boston, he didn't have much luck. It was very difficult, very intellectual. He uh, did not mention mother once in any lectures. It was science of religion, Vedanta. One of the Swamis in uh, India had told me that Ashik Teswarji told Mukunda when he was in the ashram, I want you to read the speeches of Swami Vivekananda so you know how to talk to Americans. Mm -hmm. So there's often a similarity in the, in the vocabulary. How do you talk to them? Then uh, I often wondered, so was everything over? Is Ma finished now? Is, is, it, is it over? But it isn't, <laughs> because um, even though in his writings and in his lectures at that time, there was no mention of Ma, amongst his close ones, there always was devotion to Ma. And again in the same talk, when Yoganandaji is saying, finally he prayed to Ma and said, this is, I'm going back to India. After four years here, I'm going home. And he heard Ma's voice saying, go to Los Angeles. So he asked around, what's Los Angeles? <laughs> Found out and decided to drive cross country with two other young men who were like his students. And so they drove. Imagine driving across the country in 1924. He didn't have any money. Things weren't going so well. So he said they were prepared to camp all the way across. And hear what he said in that same talk. He said, We started on our way that morning, equipped for camping, so we could travel as economically as possible. But all of us were happy and singing all the way. Over and over I chanted, Engrossed is the bee of my mind on the blue lotus feet of my Divine Mother. Over and over. And only a few years ago, 
after much searching, I was able to find this song. It's in the Kotamrit, of course, in the Gospel of Ramakrishna with a different English translation. But when I found, with help of a friend, this Mojlo Amar Mon Bromora Kali, the one that we sing here sometimes. Mojlo Amar Mon Bromora Kali Padanil Kamole Kali Padanil Kamole Shama Padanil Kamole so he sang this when he was a boy and he didn't stop singing it and he even sang it in English as they were driving across the country under very difficult circumstances finally uh, he said later he reminisced he said to Ma Mother I don't want to be a clown I'm done with lecturing and there's another time, he, the same time, sometime, I don't know exactly the order of some of these events, but he went out to Phoenix where he opened a little mandir. And in the desert there, again, he sang out to Ma. And uh, he later translated in English. Mother, I give you my soul, soul, soul call. You can't remain hidden anymore. Give my mother a soul, soul, soul call. She can't remain hidden anymore. Come out of the silent sky, come out of the mountain glen. Come out of my secrets, O oh Mother. Come out of my secrets, O. Oh. Come out of my cave of silence. More and more he began to compose in English songs. And he experimented by singing them once at a lecture. And he was in Carnegie Hall in New York. And all of his advisors and friends said, Don't do it. Don't sing. It's not going to work. This is New York. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is 1924. And this is Carnegie Hall, which is known for its music. And it was even said that there was a concern that they may throw tomatoes at him. <laughs> and I actually read about it, and I found that in that time in, in America, especially in the East Coast, throwing tomatoes was actually a common practice, to throw at people rotten tomatoes. It was a real practice. Um, so... But he did it anyway, and he sang Hey Hari Sundar, and then translated into English, Oh God Beautiful. And they sang over and over for an hour and 20 minutes. And as far as my research has, has found, that is the first kirtan in America, group kirtan, 1926. So by this time he began to sing more and write more, and he found that Americans were responding to this, to sing. Things got a little better in 1931. Some disciples came to help. He established his center and began to work on more uh, of books and writings and not so many of the lectures. And then in 1935, his guru called him, and not on the phone, <laughs> summoned him and said, Come, I'm leaving the earth. So he went back to India. At this time, I also was wondering, now he's been in America for 15 years. What is it like going back to India? What will he be like? Again, the first point of, of seeing the, the, the Guru in the context of their upbringing. So he went and uh, went right back to the way he always was. Many ecstasies, many samadhis, many beautiful times, and of course a lot more work. He was corresponding with one of his beloved disciples and he wrote to him many very intimate letters and this was only published recently, very recently, so it's very exciting to find these these letters. And when later from India he wrote to him and he said, matters are becoming very difficult in my mind. Were you with me here and a few others, I would not go back to America. I would stay here by the river Jamuna 
and Rome. This I mean from my heart. America, I love many things I wish were here, but I dread the financial struggle, the rigor, the competition in getting financial support for religious work. In America, more money, more prosperity, more attention and more honor from people, but renunciation and plain living are ignored. Here in India, there is more God and more encouragement. I am between two boats. In another letter he said, Oh, how I wish you were here at the students' home in Kolkata where many of my former students from my first school who are now grown men come and join me. Every Saturday night I have sung and danced as did Sri Chaitanya and his disciples, singing and meditating. And at the end of the dance I let my body go into a rigid ecstasy of samadhi. My life's time I want to spend in writing God ecstasy, singing, dancing in samadhi, and teaching those who come to me by the very life I live, how to contact the divine. And this was a real turning point because when he came back to America, he felt the same way. It was almost as if he was saying, I'm, I'm done with this now. You know? <laughs> who is already there, she came in 1931. She was anxiously waiting for him to come back. And she wrote, In 1936, when Guruji returned from India, he said to us, I seek no power, I seek nothing, for I had given all to Ma. I have cast my desires into the flame of one desire, to behold my Ma, to behold my mother's face. And in that same year, he, he ar arrived in um, October, and in December, which is time of Christmas, he went into a very deep samadhi with Ma Kali. This came out in 2002. So I had already been in the ashram for a few years, not knowing still so much. I hadn't found much of this. When I read this, first time it was ever published, I was in tears. Because I knew of our tradition of having a Christmas meditation to honor Christ. This is something that Yoganandaji started. But I couldn't imagine that he would be drunk with Makali <laughs> on Christmas Eve. <laughs> but he was. He had just come back from Mother India. And recently Swami Bhajananda showed me a picture that he had found of Yoganandaji at the Panchavati in Dakshineshwar, 1936, before he came, just with a dhoti, no shirt, his hair is a little wild. He's just sitting there and the caption in Bengali says, Paramhansa Yogananda in Samadhi at the Panchavati and Dakshineshwar. That's what he was doing. So he came back and he said, I don't want this anymore. And he began, this was the first time that I am aware of, that he began to openly, openly talk about Makali 15 years later, except to a few. But this was now more open in the public. And he would say, Oh, Kali, Kali, Divine Mother, Divine Kali, Blessed Divine Kali. Over and over again he was saying her name. O oh, Mother, I was reluctant to come to America, lest in its materialism I lose sight of you. O oh, Ma, nobody, no name, no fame do I acknowledge. What you have done through me I don't know. He even guides everyone in a visualization. He said, visualize a great homa, a yagya fire, surrounded by our line of gurus and in front of this is Ma Kali and he guided them chanting Om in the chakras and saying Swaha into this fire. This is 1936 in Los Angeles. He, nothing was stopping him now. <laughs> Ma's uh, Shakti and grace was there. He had lost his guru. You know, his guru had had his Mahasamadhi during that trip but his guru also said now I bestow on you Paramhansa. And so there was something in him, a new Shakti, a new mission. And as it goes, this was a 10-hour meditation. It starts in the morning and goes on and on and on. And he doesn't stop talking to Ma. He will talk to Ma Kali. He will talk to, about Krishna. He will sing to Krishna. But it keeps coming back to Ma. He says over and over, Om Kali, Om Kali. And at the very end, after 10 hours of 
trying to keep everyone going. A final period of meditation follows, it says. Then his final prayer. O oh, Divine Mother, all is finished. Such joy, such joy. Such pure souls are here tonight. O oh, Kali Divine, I pray that all those who are here tonight will never forsake Thee. Mother, we thank Thee for this day. This day is a true convocation of our souls, the cementing of our souls in Thee. And in those following years after 1936, it didn't end. When you start looking at the lectures that he gave, he's speaking much more about Kali. He's telling the story of M, because the autobiography hadn't been written yet. So no one knew about M. So first time in lectures, and I have them all listed. It's, it begins, you know, 39, then 1940, then 41, then 1943, he starts singing more in front of crowds, singing to Ma. And he had his own temples, and there he was more free. He then put out the autobiography in 1946 that had the first chapters of this revelation of his vision of Ma and Dakshineshwar. He writes about it. It's called The Heart of a Stone Image. Many more, it starts to come out. At this time, because Dayama was becoming his secretary, she was working with him every day. She reminisces about those days, and you get more insights of who he was. Despite running this big organization, she said that when you would walk down the third floor hallway, and I know exactly where it is and where his little study was, she would walk very quietly to not disturb him and look in. And she said she would see him sometimes with tears singing to Ma in Bengali. We would listen to tape recordings of Dayama talking to the monks, having satsang. And I was listening to one one night. We were having a meditation. A few years back, I was still in the ashram. And she's saying, I want to rouse your devotion. Meditation is not just routine. You have to put your whole heart into it every time. Then she said, every time we were meditating with Guruji, he would rouse that devotion in our hearts. And she said, this was a tape of 1963. And she said, and one I remember he would say, Oh, Ma, Bhavutarini, Bhavutarini, feel Ma is here, Bhavutarini. And I just was stunned because I never heard anyone say that word, Ma Bhavutarini. And Ayama said it so sweetly in a very American accent. She's from Salt Lake City. But she heard him saying it in the Bengali, Bhavutarini. She was using Bhavutarini, Bhavutarini that he was calling out to Mahabhavatarini. Then, uh, as before I close, I thank you for your patience. I'm almost finished. Uh, this is Daima again reminiscing about being in Encinitas together. She said, We were often blessed to sit around Gurudeva while he composed a new chant or rendered a traditional chant into English. He did this with one of Ram Prashad's songs that has become a very beautiful English song that many of us love. She said, we would join in with him as he would write. So sometimes he would sing one line in Bengali, then write it in English, and then sing it and look to them like, Tikache, sounds okay. <laughs> and then once they learned it, just then in the end, this would be by midnight now, midnight, one in the morning, no time, time didn't matter. Then we would join in with him as he sang the song over and over and over again, sometimes far into the night, until we went beyond the words and the music, and we were in the devotion, in that devotion. He had a tabla and a harmonium there, so he would just go and go. One on in one on uh, on one occasion in Encinitas, he was singing to Ma this song, "Will that day O come to me?" Pouring out his heart to her, his love for Ma and his joy lifted us to a rapturous state, and my mind became so engrossed in the Divine Mother that I myself entered a very deep ecstatic state. And then Guruji suddenly stopped chanting and touched me on the forehead. And then he looked to the other disciples and said, You see, she has stolen my samadhi.
<laughs> this song, which is a Ramprasad song in Bengali, in English it's so beautiful how Yoganandaji wrote it. Will that day, O oh, come to me, Ma? Will that day, O oh, come to me, Ma? When saying, Mother dear, my eyes will flow tears. Heart's lotus will blossom forth. Darkness will steal away, steal away, steal away, steal away, ma, steal away. A thousand Vedas do declare Divine Mothers everywhere. Shri Ram Prashad says, My Mother everywhere stays. Blind eyes see the Ma hiding everywhere. Will that day oh, come to me, Ma? In the last final years of Yoganandaji's life, in June of 1948, we were told by his close disciples that he had his, what we would say, his great samadhi. He summoned his close disciples to him, just telepathically. They all just came to his study, 1948, a few years before he left his body. And for 12 hours he was in a deep samadhi where he was conversing with Ma, with Kali. And they said that even his voice would change at times. And as this went on far throughout, it, it was in the evening that it began. It went all night into the late morning. He said to all of them, I don't know what Ma will do with my life. Either she will take me away from this earth or she wants me to withdraw from the organizational work and remain in seclusion. He didn't know. He thought maybe this will be the end. But he ended up going to the desert for a couple more years where he worked on some commentaries, the Bhagavad Gita. During that time, some of the monks were with him a lot. And one of them reminisced that he was holding Yoganandaji and going for a little walk. And Yoganandaji was really not conscious of this world. And he said, I am, I am communing with so many great ones. I was just all morning with Sri Ramakrishna Paramhansa. And he said, the, this young boy, what? I, I, he didn't understand. But he said, he came to me and he sat on the bed. And he... I, I I know his whole life. I, I wanted to know his whole life. And the boy asked, but did he tell you or how did it happen? And he said, no, no, just holding hands in ex that exchange of vibration. I, this, these were what were happening to Yoganandaji in his final years. The other disciples said he wouldn't eat anything but Indian food. He wouldn't talk about anything. It's just all India. That's all he wanted. And Dayama said in those later years, he was doing everything he could to hold on to India. He tried many times to go back to India, and his uh, passport and visa papers were always rejected. It was very hard for him in many ways. He couldn't go back to his mother India, so he, he brought India to him. And he was telling them how to make shinghara. And they're saying, but your health isn't good, Guruji, you should eat more salad. He said, no, no, I want shingharas, and I want... <laughs> and they would have these great samadhis. Towards the very end, 1951, uh, Dayama remembered when she said, uh, Guruji said, I have experienced pain in this body for these years. But how strange it is. On one side, Ma is causing the suffering, and on the other, she is looking after this body through all of you. And he would tell, started to tell his disciples, Divine Mother is giving me borrowed time. It could happen any time now. And in 1952, finally, when the ambassador of India came, Yoganandaji went to 
host him and greet him. And he told everyone, I will die speaking of India. He had that same love and passion for India. And that is what happened at the banquet. Speaking about India, he had his Mahasamadhi at the Biltmore Hotel. So to conclude this talk, I would like to sing the, that beautiful song, Receive Me on Thy Lap, O Mother. And he also wrote it in Bengali and put it even in the English songbook. That was the first Bengali song I ever learned. Kole tule ne makali, kaler kole dishna phele. And in the Bengali he sang Kali. Kaler kole tule ne ma kali in the Bengali. In the English, Receive me on thy lap, O Mother. Cast me not at death's door. Cast me not at delusion's door. So we will sing it. And um, uh, there was a poem I wanted to read that he had written for Kali, but it's very long. And sometime I'm sure you, you can read it or another time here or we will share it. <laughs> but I wanted to end with this song because he used to sing this when he was younger. And when I sang it with his uh, descendants who live at Forgarpa Road, they all had tears in their eyes. Mm. They'd look at this young American boy comes over and starts singing these same songs that we know Yoganandaji sang in this same house. So. Kole tule ne makali Kaler kole dishna phele 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 Receive me on thy lap, O Mother Cast me not at death's door Receive me on thy lap, O Mother, cast me not at death's door, cast me not at delusion's door, cast me not at delusion's door. Kole tule ne makhali, Kaler kole dishna phele Kole tule ne makali Kaler kole dishna phele Jai Ma, Jai Guru Thank you for your attention and your patience Thank you Ushama Swamiji and Swami Bhajanandaji for supporting me with this Jai Ma.